kids that come to our camp, you know, I tell them, I'm like, look, if we're in there to see you, we watch you from the second you get out of your car to the second you get back in your car. Hello and welcome to another edition of Coach's Corner, uh, where each week uh, Coach Dave Serrano and myself uh, speak with a college coach from around the country. We talk about all things related to youth baseball, high school baseball, and obviously uh, college baseball. Uh, our guest today has uh, been a head coach uh, at GW, George Washington, UNO, uh, down in New Orleans, and now currently the head coach uh, at uh, Wake Forest since uh, 2010, right, Tom? Okay, yeah, this is my 14th season, which is uh, hard to believe. I don't know where the time goes. <laughs> but one of the things I wanted to discuss with you is uh, from, you know, we talk to a lot of coaches, but we don't really go down uh, the road with regard to program development or development of a program. And you, and that's kind of your, your forte. You did it at GW, you did it at UNO under what I consider to be extremely difficult conditions, having lived down there for a number of years. And now obviously at 13 and one at Wake Forest and last year's team was really, really strong. What, what does it take? What's the time parameter and what type of athletes does it take to really create, you know, your thumbprint on a program? Yeah, that's a great question. And it's, and it's truthfully, it's a complicated one. I think the higher you go, the longer it takes, truthfully, you know, at, at GW, it was a relatively quick turnaround. You know, you're competing in the Atlantic 10, which is a, which is a good league, but it's not a, you know, an elite league where you're going in there and competing day to day against established programs who are kind of national powerhouses. And then, you know, and then you transition to university of new Orleans, which is a really good conference in the Sun Belt, as you know, and so that takes maybe a little longer. And then you get to somewhere like Wake Forest and it takes even longer than that because the ACC is so good right from the jump. But I think the, the most important piece to that is just figuring out what your competitive advantage is, what you do really well, and then build your team culture around that identity. Like find that identity. What can you do to separate yourself from everybody in your league? And again, that was quite different at all three stops, truthfully. Um, and then kind of mold your team to that type of identity. Tom, it's a pleasure to be on here with you. I, I from afar, I've respected so much of what you've done, especially at Wake Forest and, and how you've really brought, you know, the development part of that program and what you've done with success. With what you just said in regards to development, when your staff goes out and recruits, um, are you looking more for the unfinished product than, than the finished product of something that you guys believe in your system that you could develop through your through their at least three years in your program, sometimes four? Is it, it is that something you guys look for? Or are you looking for the guy who's ready to play right away? I think a combination of both. I mean, obviously you need some guys that are ready to play right away. And we've had some freshmen step in and have great success, you know, immediately. Um, but I think in general, I, I think it's the, it's the former you're looking for those guys you can kind of mold and develop into your system, especially on the mound for us. Like, you know, when you're starting at a program that, you know, historically had, had, you know, not done well the past five, six, seven years in the league, you know, then, you know, you're not the first option for those, those top end arms. So we had to do some really kind of hard thinking about how we attract and develop arms so we can compete you know, in the ACC day in, day out. And that was the hardest part. I think, you know, we got good enough positionally probably in three years or so. I felt like we were good enough positionally to compete at the highest level. 
And it wasn't really till, you know, probably maybe five years ago that I felt like we got good enough on the mound to compete nationally. So it, it certainly took some time. And, and the pitching lab obviously was a big part of that. Yes. And, and, you know, that's something near and dear to both Dave and myself as regard to pitching. You know, that pitching lab, and I can remember, I believe, Morgan McSweeney. So it might have been 2016 or 15, somewhere in that vicinity, where I started to hear a lot about the lab at Wake Forest. Now, obviously, that is a technologically advanced kind of uh, analytic uh, area that you're able to use to develop your pitchers. And you were one of the first uh, college programs to implement that. Would you equate that with your rise with being able to recruit, you know, that that kind of that the development of the pitching lab, for lack of a better term? Well, certainly, uh, you know, so it's there's two pieces. There's the recruitment piece and then there's the development piece. So it it now like in the last, I'd say, probably two to two ish years, we've really been able to use that lab to recruit because we've established ourselves there. We've kind of figured out how to use it. You know, the hardest thing about that lab when it first got built, it opened in like the fall of 2019. And, and how do you make that all that data actionable? You know, how do you like really use that to help develop pitchers? Because, you know, there's three pieces to a pitcher's development. And we talk about this all the time. You know, piece number one is the biomechanics and how you move. And piece number two is, the ball metrics and the analytics, like what's the ball doing? And piece number three is what we call the art of pitching, you know, holding runners and feeling your position and being able to pitch backwards and make pitches when it counts under pressure and, and make pitches from the stretch and, and things like that. So, you know, again, and when you're talking about development of a pitcher, you really need to be good at all three of those things. And that's, that's why I like where we are right now, because Corey Mascara, and Mike McFerrin, the director of our pitching lab, they do a really great job. And then we've got an analytics team of 14 like undergrad slash grad students that are kind of crunching data for us every day. So, you know, we've put together this kind of incredible staff of people that's designed to help our guys in, in all three of those phases. Hey, Tom, I, I looked at your numbers on the mound and they're fabulous. And that's why you've gotten off to such a great start, along with your offensive numbers and some guys that are putting up monster numbers. I guess my question is, um, there's many people like you that have kind of coattailed you guys with the pitching labs and the development, the analytics and all that. And as a guy who's passionate about pitching, my question to you is, as I look around the scores last night of the midweek games, and I know it's a midweek game, and but even on the weekend series, why do you think scores are so elevated now of how many scores are double digits by teams throughout the country? Yeah, well, I think it's a lot of things. I think it's pitching. You know, the pitching is not as deep, um, you know, kind of across the board as it as it really should be. And there's and it's so, there's so much information out there. You know what each pitcher does really well. So I, I think it right when you have that much information, you know, I feel like it just favors the hitter as they. You know, you used to back in the day, you know, you'd see the scatterboard and every the slider throws in, in what counts and all those things. Mm -hmm. So, you know, to me in this world that we live in, the hitters just have, you know, I think they have the advantage because of because of how, um, you know, much information they have. Okay, That's something I'd like to kind of delve a little bit deeper into, you know, back uh, in the Stone Age in the uh, what I call the 90s, 2000s before analytics and uh, Internet was used to the degree that it is now. 
teams were scouting, you know, with their eyes, you know, they'd write a, write a, re- a lot of reports. Do you think that that access to that information or the amount of games that are now on television uh, via the computer as well as uh, networks, do you think that allows teams to kind of do reconnaissance somewhat easier? Well, for sure. I mean, gone are the days. I remember when I first started coaching, uh, one of the first things I did, the head coach, I was an assistant at GW, and the head coach sent me down to NC State to watch them play three games because we, we were playing them the next weekend, and we weren't opening up as early as they were. So I went down there and kind of sat on NC State for three games uh, to do some, and, you know, gone are those days. And then, and then they kind of went into that phase where you would call coaches you knew and say, hey, can you send us what you got on you know, on Georgetown, or can you send us what you got on Clemson? Um, and those days are gone too, because now you've got Synergy that's got all the video of really of every game. You've got true media who can break it down. You know, what percentage of the, what, what's their batting average against the slider? What's their batting average against the changeup? You know, what's their batting at? What's, what are their hot zones? You know, all those things. And then to your point, you've got all those games on ESPN, so you can physically kind of watch those games too. And, and, and as I mentioned, you know, we've got 14 analysts that are kind of working on our game prep. And then we've got Corey Mascara and Mike McFerrin, you know, working on as well. And then on the other side of the ball, we've got Bill Salento, Matt Wessinger uh, working on, you know, how we're going to how we're going to attack their pitchers. So it's it's kind of crazy. We spend, you know, a lot of our time on on game prep, just providing our guys with information to be successful. I'm going to switch gears here a little bit and talk a little bit recruiting, ask you a recruiting question. You're at a very, you coach at a very high academic institution. Um, When you and your staff go out and recruit, what do you think, what would you guess the percentage is when you go to an event that you automatically cross off because they're not academically fit to go to your university? And the other part of that question is, does that make it easier in recruiting because it's a smaller sample of people? Or does it make it more difficult because it's not as big of a sample of players to bring in? Yeah, great question. I, I'd say we we eliminate right off the bat probably two thirds, um, kind of right off the bat without you know without you know kind of you know hey there's no need for us to run this guy down because it's just not a fit. Um, you know it it does make it more difficult for sure. Uh, because we, you know, for us, we really have to get to know the kid, you know, we have to get to know the kid and who he is and, and what his parents value. You know, one of the things we, we won't make an offer to, to somebody unless they've been on our campus with their parents, because again, we don't really know who they are until we get to, to see them at that level where we, we kind of know what they value. And if they, if they're a family that doesn't value academics, then they won't be successful here. And if it's a struggle for them academically here, then they're not going to be able to spend the time they need to on baseball to, to be the player we need them to be. So it's, you know, it's always finding that balance and it really starts, you know, with the parents and, and how much they value academics in their home. You know, Tom, in today's world, with regard to recruiting, staying on that topic, you know, the hot button now being the transfers, the portal slash Juco, et cetera. Where does the high school student still fall within your recruiting uh, classes each year? Do you, is there still an emphasis on finding that student athlete that you can develop over the course of, uh, you know, that freshman and sophomore year? Without question. I, I, I think it's impossible to build good team culture if you're exclusively in the portal. You know, I, you've got to you've got to grow your guys up. We want guys that want to be at Wake Forest, that care about Wake Forest. We don't want one year players here. We want guys that value that degree and that education and 
and kind of who we are that we want to create that family environment here. And if you're, and if you're constantly bringing in, you know, eight, nine, 10 guys out of the portal every year, then I don't know how you, you build that type of team culture. And, and again, I'm not saying that doesn't work for some people because it does, it just doesn't work here at Wake Forest and, and that's not who we are and, and what we're trying to build. I think the portal for us is, you know, we went out and got a catcher this year because we needed a catcher, you know, so we, we were able to kind of plug a hole, um, you know, if we need an arm to, to kind of finish our weekend rotation or, or somebody out of the bullpen, then the portal's a great place, you know, for that. You lose somebody in the draft unexpectedly and you can replace that. But, you know, to me, the bulk of, for us, you know, our recruiting classes, if you look at our recruiting classes historically, we're bringing in about 12 freshmen a year is kind of our, and I remember going through COVID and meeting with our team and saying to our team, hey, look, I know everybody's got an extra year of eligibility, but just know that you get four years. Like I can't guarantee you your fifth year of scholarship because we've got, you know, guys coming in, you know, in the pipeline that have already been promised that money. So I can't, I can't promise you you're going to have your scholarship money for your, for your fifth year. And we've been kind of very transparent about that. And, and we, we definitely want to build with freshmen. The portal's nice to add some pieces, but to me, it's not the answer. I love your, I love your response to that. Um, and just kind of following up on that, our, when the portal was adapted at Wake Forest or through the NCA at Wake Forest as the head coach, were you for that or were you against that? You know, I, I understood. I, I was on the fence, quite honestly. I understood why they adopted it because, you know, again, the, the, the student athlete experience committee um, has a lot of weight with the NCA, which I love because we're listening to what the students want and what the student athletes need. And their their point was, hey, you've got coaches that can take a new job and leave a program. And meanwhile, we're locked in um, without having to sit a year and it's not fair. And so I, I got that part of it. I mean, sometimes you go somewhere, you know, and, and you and it's not a fit and and you need to go somewhere else. And, and there have been great success stories with people leaving programs, going to other programs and, and having having great careers. The flip side of that is, you know, I think what has happened is it's really kind of force kids hands to make commitments even sooner because the schools, you know, they're like, well, if it doesn't work out, we'll just replace him with somebody in the portal, you know, if he doesn't develop. And, and a lot of schools are very honest about that. They'll tell kids, you know, from the beginning, Hey, look, if you're not developing the way you think we would, we're going to part ways with you, whether it's before you get here or while you get here. And, and again, I just don't, I, I don't like that part of it. I don't like it. Like, I don't like these teams kind of stockpiling people and basically holding tryouts. Like, I, I just yeah. don't think that's the, I, I just don't like that part of the game right now. Yeah. You know, Tom, there's a lot of talk about uh, staying on that recruiting kind of high wire. There's a lot of talk about a potential uh, time parameter when a student athlete can actually commit uh, very similar, I guess, to softball and lacrosse. I've asked a few coaches this question. Do you think that that has any uh, any chance of getting through the committee with regard to, you know, September 1st of a student athlete's junior year is when they can be offered or extended a potential scholarship or commit to a university? Yeah, I, I do think that's going to pass. I think it'll be a little earlier than that. My guess is it'll be closer to July 1. I think they'll, they'll that that'll open up. And, and I like that. I think that that's going to be a really good thing. I think, you know, again, you remember this, you know, back, 15, 20 years ago, kids would have five official visits and they would go on five official visits. And it's, and it was a, it was a really good thing 
because then they can get to know the informed decision. And, you know, right now with the way it is, you know, kids are making, they, they feel all this pressure to commit and they want to announce it on social media. And, you know, it's become this whole kind of big hoopla. And, and as a result, you know, uh, these, these guys are making these decisions without all the information. So I think the, that that is going to happen. I'm, I hope it does. And I'm, I'm looking forward to it quite honestly. And I, and I think the other thing we should do, and, the, and to me, one of the ways to solve this whole problem would be like, like hold coaches to like a, a, an amount that they can offer, like get a kid. When you commit a kid, have them sign right away and then count that against like in any four year window and let, let coaches over sign by a little bit so they can, they can kind of, you know, factor in the draft. So I don't know what the scholarship number is. Let's say the scholarship number is 13.5 scholarships and any four year window, you can't have more than 13.5 scholarships, whether it's junior year in high school, you know, through sophomore year in college, seniors through juniors, you know, freshmen through seniors in any window, you know, call it 13, 13 and a half scholarships. But when you commit, you should sign on the dotted line and we should hold these colleges, their feet to the fire on these commitments. Good point. Um, so, okay, again, again, staying on recruiting, uh, when your staff and yourself go out and watch a travel ball tournament down at Lake Point or something like that, you've already hit on the academic portion of it, how important, and you already know which guys you're not going to look at. But what characteristics are you guys looking at? You're not, you're basically not getting to see them put, take into the outfield because their games are back to back to back. What are you guys looking for in that stint, especially with how accelerated recruiting is and you've got 30 other coaches there, what kind of characteristics separate some from others? Yeah, so it, it's pretty to, easy to separate the talent. And I think everybody can stand there and, and pick out the three or four best players on the field. Those guys stand out almost immediately. So what we do is obviously once we've identified the kind of the cream of the crop, so to speak, we watch how they interact with their teammates. We watch, you know, how they warm up. We watch how they treat umpires and, and we watch how they respond to adversity, you know, you know, because that, you know, baseball is a, a game of kind of grittiness and resilience. And so we're out there kind of trying to identify kids who in our, our mind play the game the right way and play hard, deal well with adversity and then they're great teammates. And again, everybody knows who the good players are. They're not hard to find but finding the good players that fit kind of your culture and what you're trying to build, that's the important part. And, and I tell, you know, when, when I talk to the kids that come to our camp, you know, I tell them, I'm like, look, if we're in there to see you, we watch you from the second you get out of your car, to the second you get back in your car, you know, we're watching how you treat your parents. We're watching what you do pregame. We're watching what you eat at the concession stand, <laughs> you know, all those things, they're, they're all important because we've got to, we've got to know what we're going to get once you get here, because we're, we're not a program that's going to run guys out. We just don't believe in that, you know, so we, we, we're kind of pot committed on our decision. And when we bring you into our family, you know, it's like having a, it's like having a crazy uncle. You can't get rid of your crazy uncle just because he's a little yeah. crazy, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he's in the family for good. So, uh, you know, we want to know what we're buying. So for us, we try to slow down the recruiting process as much as we can and get to know these kids and our, you know, Bill Salento and Corey Mascara and Matt Wessinger, our staff, they do an unbelievable job on the phone with these kids, you know, week in, week out, you know, just really getting underneath who they are and what makes them tick. So on that note, I, I get asked this question all the time. For you as, as a, a head coach and Bill as a recruiting coordinator and Corey as a pitching coach, when a freshman lands on campus, what's the most common um, – 
area that they're not prepared to be a college student athlete? Is it physicality, i.e. strength, uh, skill set, repetition, anything along those lines? You know, how can a potential high school recruit be better prepared to become a college student athlete? I, you know, I think two things. I think one, managing time, you know, is the most important thing. I, I think what these high school kids don't realize is how much free time they have once they get to college, you know, because they, they're used to their high school day going from eight in the morning till, you know, three thirty in the afternoon and they're so scheduled and then they get here and they're not as scheduled. So how are you going to use your free time to help yourself? You know, what are you going to prioritize in your free time? Are you going to prioritize academics and baseball or are you going to prioritize your, prioritize your social life? So how we handle our social life and what decisions we make, I, I would say, is kind of front and center. You know, and then on the field, physicality is certainly a big part of it. But I'd say even even bigger than that is probably just the speed of the game. You know, the game is so much faster and they're having to make decisions so much more quickly and just getting them up to speed with the speed of the game, getting them to slow the game down is the is the hardest thing. And and again, I, and we tell our freshmen, we're very honest, some freshmen kind of hit the ground running and they and they they make that adjustment right away. Other freshmen, it's not till their sophomore year, you know, so for us, like. And that's okay. Either either timeline is fine, um, so long as they're they're kind of invested in the team and they're invested in their own development and, and what we're and where we're trying to get them. And that's why that that first summer away for me is the big one. Like that summer ball after your freshman year is kind of that pivotal 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 time where if they come back after that summer, they should be the player you think they're going to be by then. And if they're not, they probably never will be. I want to ask you a question about which is near and dear to you and the most important thing right now, and that's your team. Um, you started out fabulous. I know you're probably not feeling real good about last night. I'm going to say as a former coach, last night might have been the best thing that could happen to you going into ACC weekend this weekend against Duke. You have some really gaudy numbers from your offensive players and from some of your pitchers. The thing that I was impressed with is most of those guys are sophomores and juniors. So it just kind of shows your development. It's not a a fifth year guy who's 22 years old putting up these numbers as you go back to the drawing board today and i'm sure you'll get the attention of your team with your first loss what's the biggest thing that you're looking at that you think you need to improve this year with your team to make it to where you want to get to yeah i would like to believe yesterday was a fluke i mean we had nine unearned runs seven errors um you know three on pickoffs two other throwing errors you know it's just one of those things where you know, we just had a couple innings compound on us. And, th and that's not who we are. We have been playing really good defense kind of previous to yesterday. Um, so I, I, I'm, I'm hoping yesterday was just a one-off and we don't have to talk too, too much about, about that. But what I, what I loved yesterday was, you know, we had that 6-2 and then we had a 6, you know, in the bottom of the – third, I guess, or no, sorry, bottom of the second, you know, we gave up six unearned runs, you know, most of which came with two outs. And, um, and it was just a comedy of errors. We had an error to start the inning with one out and then walk a guy, hit a guy, had another error, strike a guy out, have a strikeout, get away from our catcher. And then we give up a grand slam. So they scored six runs on one hit. And, um, and our guys, they never wavered. Like they never, and there were at no point during that game that our guys think we were going to lose. They kept battling, they kept coming back. You know, the energy was good. They were kind of supporting one another. So I just really loved what was going on in the dugout last night and, and really bodes well for our future. So, 
you know, for us, you know, I, I think the thing we need to improve on is we need to grind at bats better one through nine. We've got some guys that are swinging the bat really well, but we've got some other guys that are that are that are a little kind of over aggressive right now. They're not grinding at bats, not walking enough, not getting on the backside of the field enough. They're just kind of pressing a little bit. So I'd say half our lineup is playing really well and the other half is pressing a little bit. So I, I'd like to see a little more balance in our in our lineup, certainly. Um and, and we're getting to know our bullpen, which is, you know, which is a good thing. So I, I think we've gotten to the point where we kind of know who can do what in our bullpen. So, you know, quite honestly, if we can just get some more consistent at-bats one through nine and, and be willing to grind at-bats a little more, um, especially down at the bottom of the order, I, I feel really good about this club moving forward. You know, Tom, one of the things that I find really uh, that's kind of a uh, foundation of a Wake Forest program is you get your entire roster – to understand their roles and when they're called upon, uh, you know, they are able to step in and kind of, you know, just keep the, 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 the line moving ahead. And I noticed that last year where you had some, you know, players that came in and out of the lineup, but they all were producing. How do you get these, you know, younger players to understand, know your role, you know, excel in your role, understand to be prepared when you're called upon to be part of the program, you know, on any given, in any given game? Yeah, another great question. I, I think the two most important things that I do as a head coach is what you just described. Um, and, and I think that starts with one of, and the, and the other is building, is get, building confidence, right? Getting our guys confident in who they are, getting them to understand who they are and then be confident in that role. I think is the two most important things we do. And I think first and foremost, it starts with communication. It's just being transparent about what their role is. Hey, this is the role we've brought you in for. This is who you are right now. This might not be who you are in a year or two years, but this is who you are right now. And this is what we need you to do. We need you to do this really well. And then as you change as a player, we can, you know, that role is certainly going to change. But for now, this is what what you need to do to help this team win. And, and I think as a, you know, as a parent, as a coach, as a teacher, you know, somebody who's developing young people, I think the most important thing we do is getting them to understand who they are. Um, I guess, well, let me back up a little bit, getting them to aligning how they see themselves with how the world sees them. You know what I mean? Because there's always like the biggest thing we struggle with is if there's a disconnect, if they see themselves as this type of player, but the whole world, including their teammates and their coaches, see them as this type of player. We've got to get those two aligned. And, you know, we have a lot of team meetings and conversations about that. We, we took our team on a, on a team retreat this past fall um, for the second year in a row where we talk about leadership. We read a team book every year. We use that book to kind of deliver life lessons and lessons about being a great teammate. The book we read this year was Legacy um, by Dan Brown, which is about the New Zealand All Blacks. It's just an incredible book about team culture and, and kind of buying into something bigger than yourself. You know, legacy, leaving the jersey in a better place. And, and what's our why? And our team why that we came out of that trip with was, was make them feel you. And I love that the guys, and, they, and the guys came up with that on their own, and I love that they did because – it's such make them feel is such a powerful thing. Yes, we want our opponents to feel us and feel our, you know, our prowess on the baseball field and how professional we are and how tough we are and how resilient we are. 
But guess what? We also want the umpires to feel us, how professional we are and how courteous we are. We want our teammates to feel us and how much we care about them. We want our coaches to feel us. We want our professors on campus to feel us. We want our family to feel us. You know, so it just it just goes further than than just baseball. And so for me, if we can get, you know, how they see themselves aligned with how the world sees them, you know, then we're then we're cooking with gas. Tom, as it I'm just going to even go back to just your your start at Wake Forest. Has that gotten harder as a coach to do? Are kids living more in not in reality more? Is it harder to connect with your kids than ever before? I don't think it's harder to connect, but it is harder to to get that aligned because again, they live in this social media world where you know, it's not reality. You know, the things they see on social media, you know, I worry about the mental health of our guys a lot because you know, they're looking on social media and everybody's life seems so great. And they, it's the greatest thing going. And they're like looking at themselves in the mirror saying, well, my life's not that great. You know, so, I, you know, I worry about that. Um, so it had social media has certainly made it harder. But connecting with your kids is not harder. It's the same because kids, kids are kids and they still care about the same thing. They care about each other. You know, they want to be good players. You know, there's nobody in our program that doesn't want to be a great player you just got to sometimes kind of find a way to reach them. And with every kid, it's different. And you just can't, you can't ever take a cooker cookie cutter approach. You've got to just treat each kid as an individual and get to know who they are. Mm -hmm. Well, Tom, I want to say thank you for taking the time out of your very busy schedule to join us. Uh, this has been, uh, I think, very insightful and very informative. And it's easy to see, uh, you know, as a parent, uh, you know, from a recruiting perspective, why so many uh, parents of student athletes uh, choose to uh, have their sons attend Wake Forest. Uh, I really like the path uh, of the team over the last uh, probably two and a half, three years uh, post-COVID and uh, obviously wish you nothing but success this year, not only within the ACC, but the regionals and beyond. Well, guys, I appreciate you having me on today and appreciate all you do for our game and, and uh, go Deeks. Yeah, I want to make sure parents understand that each and every Thursday evening, Coach Serrano and myself will have uh, college coaches from both the East Coast and the West Coast. Next week, we have Bill Decker from Harvard University who will talk to us a little bit about Ivy League baseball and how it's a little bit unique uh, from conventional Division I baseball. And the following week, we have J.P. Pine from University of Amherst or Amherst University that will be able to talk NESCAT and NCAA Division III baseball. So if you have any questions or comments for either Coach Serrano or Coach Walter, put them down in the comments section. Give us a thumbs up. And until next week, enjoy your week in baseball. Thank you, guys.